One thing that I have not had trouble with realizing about death is that each and every one of us is dying. I remember talking to my dad about that, and he said, you know, we're, we're all dying. I mean, technically, I've been given a diagnosis of terminal cancer, and they've told me I've had three months to live. He said, but we're all going to die. It's imminent. This morning, you're going to be hearing more from Ashley Blevins. Um, you just saw her up on the screen. Ashley's the daughter of John Melton, who passed away just a few months ago. And she's going to share much of the wisdom she learned through that. But one thing I see there in what she was talking about in losing her father, her best friend. And many of us knew John. Most of us knew John here. He moved to Montgomery when Ashley was in the fifth grade. He was a hospital administrator. I don't know anybody out in the community who touched more people than John Melton. He was just an amazing man. And so we were all so sad. And when at age 60, he was diagnosed with this terminal cancer, given only three months to live. He, he lived for two years, and we had an incredible celebration service. But he said something to Ashley that we need to, to understand, that no matter whether we've been given a diagnosis that tries to put a date on our death, we all are dying. That's just the fact of the matter. You saw the scripture up there. It's appointed a man wants to die, and then comes the judgment. We all face death. And yet, let's, let's be very honest as we begin here this morning. It's really hard to handle. I don't know any topic that it's more difficult to wrap your brain around than the issue of death. Look at this quotation from Hebrews 2.15. He says, people cower through life, scared to death of death. Most translations say there that we've been held in slavery all of our lives through death. Leo Tolstoy was a famous Russian novelist. He became just obsessed with death. He wrote these words. I'd like you to listen to him closely. Times of perplexity and restlessness began to happen more and more often in my life. Now, I had a wife who loved me. I owned a large estate. My name was respected. I'd enjoyed physical strength, yet I did not know how to live. I was seeking an answer with which I could not live without. The question of the age of 50, this question brought me to the verge of suicide. My question is this. Is there any meaning in life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? Let me read that again. Is there any meaning in life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? Today or tomorrow, death will come to those I love or to me. Soon, not only will I not exist, but eventually no one will exist who will remember anything I've written or done. Why then go on with the effort? What is it for? What does it lead to? What difference will it make? Whether I do this good thing or this bad thing or I do nothing at all. What is truly surprising is how long it took me to see this. For a time, we live intoxicated with life. But as soon as one becomes sober, it's impossible not to see that it's all a mere fraud and a stupid fraud at that. There's nothing amusing about it. It is cruel and stupid. How often I've been told, you cannot understand the meaning of life. So don't think about it. Just live. Tolstoy says, I can no longer 
live that way. It's a challenge. How do we handle it? It seems to me there are two ways that we choose to deal with death. Way number one is we just don't think about it, all right? We just keep it out of our mind. I I know people who will not attend funerals. I know people, if they attend a funeral, will stay in the foyer. I know people who will not come and look at a body in a casket because death is an overwhelming fact. And we have that choice to just avoid it for a little while. Or number two, we can deal with death by finding a living hope. And and here's what I'm here to say to you this morning. We're going to find that hope in the resurrection Tolstoy was not a believer when at age 50 he was suicidal about death. He later became a believer in Jesus Christ and found this living hope in him. Last week we talked about the difference it would make if you were at a funeral service and in the middle of the service the casket popped open and the man came up alive. We all agreed it would change everything about that moment, change everything about life. Today, we will watch a story when a man gets up out of his deathbed. But before we look at that story, I want you to listen to Ashley a little bit more. The resurrection is everything to me um, because without that, I mean, without the hope of something greater than today, we have nothing to live for. Um, I can't imagine what people do who go through death and cancer and sickness and don't have the promise of heaven or the hope of heaven of something greater than here. Um, There's the hymn, um, Because He Lives, um, I Can Face Tomorrow. Many of you may know that song, and those words are so true. Um, Because He Lives, we can get up. You know, after Dad died, those mornings that you just had to pull yourself out of the bed and and keep going on, and it's because we know that there's something greater. There's um, Heaven is waiting for us, and God has promised us that um, he's coming back for us and he is going to reunite us with our loved ones and we'll get to spend eternity with him in heaven. Um, I like to look at the resurrection as a promissory note, the promise that he's coming back, he's reuniting us, and he's taking us all with him to heaven um, for eternity. I love the way Ashley put that. The resurrection is a promissory note. It's a written promise of what someone will do for you. And that's what the resurrection is. Now, please don't get the idea from watching this video that facing the death of her father and what she would describe as her best friend was easy on Ashley. She describes that when she first found out the news of his his cancer, that she fell to the ground in tears. It took her a long time to learn how she was in deal with it. But I love what she said to me. It made me dive into the scriptures. It made me look for that living hope. And she found that hope in the resurrection that was so well put in the old song, because he lives, we can face tomorrow. So this morning, we begin this series where we look at resurrection stories in the Bible. We find some promissory notes there. Actually, there aren't a lot of resurrection stories in the Bible, except Jesus. There are only six more. There's two in the Old Testament. There are three that happen in the Gospels. And there's one that happens in the book of Acts. Today, we're going to look at two of these stories that I think are closely related. One is found in the Old Testament, one is the New Testament. They were both found in the very same region of Israel, and so there's a connection there. Both of them were the resurrection of the only son of a widow. Now, the first story is found over in 1 Kings chapter 17. 
And it's the story of Elijah. Elijah's hungry one day and he asked this woman for some food. She says, I can't hardly feed me and my son. He says, if you'll let me in your house, your flour will never end. Your oil will be endless. And so he moves in with this widow and this son and the food never runs out. But in the middle of the story, something really awful happens. The widow's son dies. And she's so upset, she thinks he may have died because Elijah's there. And so she comes and says, is God trying to punish my sins by killing my son? And so Elijah then said, oh no. And he went and he got the boy's body and he took him up to an upper room and he laid the boy across the bed. And the Bible says three times, Elijah cried out to God to, to spare the life, to bring back life into this boy. It's a really unique situation because each of those three times, Elijah stretches his body across the boy's body. And he cries out and he prays to God and he asks God to bring him back to life. And he does. It's one of those great resurrection stories that gives us hope. Now we go to Luke chapter 7 for our second story. You can see that on the screen. It's happening in the same place. It's again a widow and it's again a son. And let's look at this verse by verse, verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. Now Jesus has been in Capernaum, which is about 20 miles from Nain. This city is never mentioned at any other time in the Bible. Jesus never, ever travels there except then. Now, look at verse 12. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. Now, let's stop there just for a second. The timing here is very significant. In, in Jewish days, the burial followed very quickly the death. You never waited overnight to bury somebody because you didn't want decay to happen. So, as soon as this young man died, they prepare for burial. Burials always happened outside the city because you didn't want to be close to anything dead because it was defiling, it was unclean. And, and so, here's what hits me here, guys, is the timing of this. Jesus is 20 miles away in Capernaum. It seems to me that Jesus in his providence leaves Capernaum before this boy ever dies. And so he meets them in this moment. Talk about the love and grace of God. He meets them in this moment. He anticipates the death. He leaves early and he meets this widow leading the processional out of the city toward the burial place. And it says here, it was the only son of his mother and she was a widow and a large crowd from the town was with her. Now you need to understand Jewish funerals in this day. They were loud. You, you had to have at least two flute players. You had to have a cymbal player, and the cymbal player was supposed to be offbeat. You wanted the music to signify that something wrong has happened here, that something is not right, that something does not fit, and so the music is not like beautiful, melodious, beautiful funeral music. It's, 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 it's crazy trying to signify what's happening. Now also, in this day, if you were having a funeral, you would hire some women to wail. 
So you got this crazy music going on. You got this women, these women who've been hired to wail and cry loud. Isn't that cool, women, to get paid for what you like to do? I mean, I mean, here, here you go. They are. It's a crazy, crazy scene. And they're coming out of town, and Jesus meets them. Look at verse 13. When the Lord saw her, that's the mother, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Now, this word for his heart went out to her is the word in your Bible for compassion, but our word for compassion doesn't nearly match this. It is about Jesus having deep emotion for this woman, but it's more than just a word for emotion. It's a word for physical emotion. Jesus is deeply touched. It literally means he can feel this in his gut. His heart begins to pace quicker. He's not just emotionally touched by this woman who's lost his heart. He is physically upset. While this woman has lost her son, understand this, she's lost her husband too. She is in a very precarious position. The prophets would say in the Old Testament, the saddest person on earth was a widow who lost their only child. And Jesus is upset. And yet he says to her, don't cry. That brings us to verse 14. Then he went up. And he touched the beer they were carrying him on. Now, what is that? That's a burial plank, okay? They didn't have coffins in that day. They had planks that they would carry the body on. And the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. Now, the shocking part of the story, before even the resurrection, is that Jesus touches the burial plank. You see, to touch anything associated with death would make you spiritually unclean and unable to worship. The Bible talks about that the tombs in that day were whitewashed. They weren't whitewashed to be beautiful. They were whitewashed so that they would stand out and you wouldn't go close to them. You didn't go visit the tombs of your your lost loved ones because if you got close to that, you would become unclean. And here's the crazy thing about this story. Jesus touches the burial plank. And here's the powerful thing about Jesus. He never becomes unclean. He is able to make this body clean and resurrect it. Look at verse 15. After he said, get up to the young man, the dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Dr. Luke in this passage uses a medical term here for sitting up. It's the term of a sick person sitting up in their deathbed and talking. And he sits up and Jesus takes him and he gives this young boy to his mother. Can you imagine the scene? You've got these flutes and you've got this offbeat cymbal and you've got these women wailing. I think it all changed in this moment when Jesus resurrects this man. Look what happens, verse 16. They're all filled with awe and praise God. Instead of complete sadness, there is awesome worship in this scene. And then they say, a great prophet has appeared among us. They said, God has come to help his people. You see, they don't quite get to Jesus, the son of God yet. 
They, they think he's a prophet. I think in this position, guys, they are connecting this miracle to the first miracle we talked about today, back in 1 Kings 17. They're connecting. Elijah did this in the same region for a widow with one son, and Jesus does this in the same region for a widow with one son. And so they immediately come to the conclusion, he must be a super-duper prophet like Elijah. And then look at verse 17. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. It's a great story. And this morning, I want you to write down some promissory notes, some promises from God that we find as we study this story. There's some great things that we can hold on to, friends. You know, the Bible says that all men are held in the slavery of death all of their life. Most people, most of us don't get a handle on death. But that's why these few little resurrection stories are there. It's for God to drop a few promissory notes that say, you know what? This is not the end. He doesn't do it for everybody. He does it just for six people over thousands of years. What do we learn here? Number one, here's what God says. I'm as upset about death as you are. I'm upset about this as you are. One thing that's really wild In every one of these resurrection scenes in the New Testament, Jesus is physically and emotionally involved and upset. What's surprising is that Jesus knows the boy's going to live. With Lazarus, which we'll look at next week, the Bible says deep anger welled up inside Jesus. Why is he so upset? I don't think it's because they're dead. Because he knows they're going to live. I think the issue of death reminds him of the fall of the earth, of Satan, of sin, of the pain, the loneliness, the hurt, and the despair of death. And it moves him because he knows. Back in the garden, this was not the way it was supposed to be. No one was supposed to die. But when the world got all messed up by sin... Death entered the world, and God never got over that. We say we hate death. I do. I do. We have never had so many. I I got Diane to make a list a, a few weeks ago of everyone in our church who's died the last two or three years, and every one of you that has lost loved ones, and it is an incredible pages of names. And in the midst of that, as we try to handle it, we hate it. But let me say this to you. Jesus hates death too. You're not alone. Number two, I have a special place in my heart for those suffering loss. Here's one thing you need to understand here is that when you are hurting, God comes near. It's significant in the Bible that almost every resurrection story involves a woman who's hurt. There's only one that only involves a man. And one of the reasons I think for this is because of the incredible position women were put in when those they loved died. Women were not able in this day to make good income, hardly ever. There was no social safety net of someone who died. And so for instance, this woman in this story Not only is she emotionally devastated because her husband and her son are dead, 
She is physically and financially devastated because she really has no way to support herself. And so I think these resurrection stories are here because God has a heart for those who are hurting. You see, we, we, we find out here that he does not resurrect everyone, but he does it enough to declare he has the power over death. So if you're hurting this morning over the loss of a loved one, which almost everyone in here probably is, I understand God has a special place for you. When you shed those tears, the one who reaches down to wipe your tears away is Jesus himself. And what you might notice if you look closely is it's nail-scarred hands that wipe your tears away. Promissory note number three. I will give you evidence to believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. God says right now everything's not changing. People still die. It's appointed for everyone to die. But I'm going to give you these notes that say Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. You see, why does he only resurrect a few, if not all? Because the point was not to keep everybody alive on this earth. Yes, I understand this about the resurrection stories we're going to look at. They're reverse resurrections. They take someone back to life on this earth, not to life in heaven. That wasn't his goal. His goal was not to keep you and I alive forever on this earth. That was not his goal. That would actually be cruel. You look at this boy, he's still going to die. You look at Lazarus, he's still going to die. So what's the purpose of these? The purpose of these stories is to remind us of the final resurrection that will happen. That's not a reverse resurrection, but is a forward resurrection that will take us into eternal life. He needs to give us evidence. I love what the woman said back in 1 Kings after Elijah had raised her son from the dead. She says, now I know that you are a man of God and the word of God comes from your mouth and is true. Now, let's don't make the mistake the people did in Luke. There's a big difference in the Elijah story and the Jesus story, right? Elijah has to lay over the body, scream, cry, pray, sweat. Listen, Jesus does not pray nor sweat. Elijah had to cry out to the one who could resurrect someone from the dead. Jesus was the one who could resurrect someone from the dead. There's a great difference. And the Jesus story is here to say to you and I, God has the power and the desire to bring the dead to life. It's intended to let us know that there is evidence that this life is not all there is. And the climax will be in the Easter story of the resurrection of Jesus himself. That brings me to number four. Promissory note number four. You can face death without fear. 
you and I can face death without fear. You see, the widow was afraid back in 1 Kings 17 that, that Elijah was there to simply remind her of her sins. In ancient days, you didn't have this individualistic idea that we have. We, we think if, if I succeed, then I succeed. If I fail, then I fail. In ancient days, it was a family affair. If I succeed, the whole family succeeds. If I'm a failure, the whole family's a failure. And so when this young man dies, this woman immediately begins to assume it's because of her sins. It's not true, but that's what she assumes. But let's be honest. All death is caused by sin on this earth. It's messed the whole system up. Why? Because there's a debt that needs to be paid. Think with me just for a moment. Anytime someone is hurt or done wrong, somebody has to pay a debt. You, you can't get by without paying a debt. If you hurt me really bad, I've got two choices. Either I can seek to hurt you back and make you pay the debt. You see what I'm saying? Or I can forgive you and I pay the debt. Either way, there's pain, right? Either I try to inflict the pain on you because of the hurt that you've caused me, or I try to, or I take the pain upon myself and forgive you and act as if it didn't happen. Now, that's the way we deal with human beings. Can you imagine God? God had a choice. We hurt him. We hurt him badly. We rebelled. We sinned. We rejected him. We spat in his face. And God had a choice. Either he could hurt us and inflict the debt on us, or he could take the debt himself. That's the awesome thing about Jesus. He took the pain. He took it on the cross. He took it all. He drank the cup of the wrath of God. And because of that, my friend, we don't have to fear death because we don't have a debt to pay. And we understand from Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. So we don't fear death like everyone else. I think God would say to that widow back in 1 Kings 17, your son did not die because of your sins, but let me tell you this, my son will die because of your sins. And that brings us to number five. All it will take is a word from Jesus. Don't you love that about the story in Luke chapter 7? The same one who created the universe with a whisper is able to resurrect this young, young boy with simply a word. There's another one of the resurrection stories in the Gospels where it's a little girl and Jesus goes, she's dead, and Jesus goes and holds her hand and Jesus says this in the Greek language. Here's what he says exactly. Honey, honey, it's time for you to wake up. It's just time for you to wake up. My friends, in the eyes of God, death is nothing more. It's nothing but a good night's sleep with which he will take your hand and say, would you please wake up? Watch one more video of Ashley. She talks about her father. Um, and so now I just, I look forward to heaven. I mean, I'm excited to um, get to go there and spend time with him. And it's not something to be scared of. I watched... 
my sweet dad just really looked death in the eye, and I remember um, holding his hand right there at the end, and all of our family, we were standing around him and having such a peace because I felt like I just handed him over to Jesus. Literally, he took his last breath, and I just felt him leave me and head to heaven. Look at this passage with me. It says everything Ashley's trying to say there. We're so thrilled that Ashley's a part of our church and part of our Birmingham campus. I appreciate her sharing with us. But look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Speaking of Jesus, it says, By embracing death, taking it into himself, he destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cowered through life, scared to death of death. My friends, we do have two choices of how we handle death. Either we can try to avoid it and not think about it. But the truth is, either by the death or sickness of the one you love or your own death, you can't live that way very long. You can live, as Tolstoy would say, intoxicated while you're young with life. But at some point, you're going to face it. Someone your age will pass away that will shock you or someone much younger than you will die when it's not supposed to happen that way. So here's what we're doing today. We are finding a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus, through these promissory notes, we find a hope that will endure. We find a hope because we know there's a power over death. We know that it's not the end, it's the beginning of something much better. As we've been interviewing people the last few days for this series, one thing every one of them has said to us is, if I could, I would not bring them back. They don't want the reverse resurrection. They don't want them back in this life of pain. Why? Because we have a living hope in Jesus Christ. So this morning, as you and I deal with the fact of death, Thank goodness God has given us these promises to hold on to. So this morning as we prepare to sing, if today you are struggling to deal with the death of a loved one, and you need the prayers of this church, you know, of all things for us to pray for, this is one we'd love to pray for. If you're still struggling with that and you want the church to surround you and pray for you today, let's do that. If you're a Christian, but for some reason, is you've not, like Ashley, dove into the Scripture to find hope, and, and you're living in a fear of death, maybe today's the day for you to confess that and first to pray for you. Or maybe you're not a Christian today, and because of that, you've avoided the whole topic of death, but you find today in Christ... Life becomes meaningful, and death becomes simply a doorway to heaven. You see, I love our theme for this series. It's alive. And we're not talking about just being alive at the final resurrection. We're talking about because we don't have to cower through life, scared to death of death, we can be alive right now. We don't live with the same fears that other people live with because we know about the resurrection. And we're alive now, 
and we know we'll be alive forever. So if you want to embrace that and meet Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection, or if you need our prayers this morning, why don't you come right now while we stand together and sing?